Matthew 2 this morning. It's a pleasure to stand before you. It's a pleasure to have my family here in support of me this morning. It's a pleasure to bring God's word. Thank you for pastor for trusting me the responsibility and the honor, certainly the privilege to deliver God's word, God's message to you today. I certainly believe God has given me a very particular message, and I pray that even, even for myself, that we would all have fertile soil, that our hearts would be prepared to receive what God has for us today. And namely, that's himself. It's easy to get caught up in everything and, and forget the reason that we do all this and the reason that we live our lives is namely to be connected with the one who made us, with the one who's called us, with the one who has sent us forth. And so this morning, I would love to, yes, acknowledge Christmas, but to go beyond that for it not to, to settle there. Also, I know Christmas time, we all love Christmas, but it still can be a difficult time for many um, Having Christ at the forefront during this time minimizes those things, and yet we'll have, you know, good and bad memories, all the Charlie Browns and Home Alone and different things that we have that are traditions and Santos, things that we have associated with Christmas, Christ being the pinnacle, the beginning and the end and the reason for the season, that levels everything out, good, bad, or indifferent. So this morning, if you would, again, Matthew 2, and I'll kind of go back and forth here between these two mics, Matthew Two is a passage very well known for the part of the Christmas story involving wise men, involving gifts. And the theme of the message this morning will be Christmas gifts. We've already talked a little bit about that this morning. And, and Christmas gifts can spawn a variety of different things, a lot of times good, and again, a lot of times bad. But the beginning, the very first Christmas gift, we see in Matthew 2. Would you look with me this morning? Matthew 2. We're just going to read the first couple of verses. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in the province of Judea at the time when King Herod reigned. Not long after Jesus was born, Magi, being wise men or seers from the east, made their way from the east to Jerusalem. These wise men made inquiries. The wise men asked, they say, where is this newborn who is king of the Jews? When we were far away in the east, we saw his star. And we have followed its glisten and gleam all this way to worship him. Lord God, I thank you for this morning, God, for the opportunity to stand in your pulpit. Lord, would you bless, Lord, God, the delivery of your word. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would, God, allow me to communicate it effectively, Lord, that you would remove flesh, Lord, out of the way, God, and that you would speak, Lord, your word into all of our hearts, God. God, that we would be excited, God, to be in this time. Lord, to have your word with us and to know, God, the goodness Lord, that you are. God, we thank you for this season, that you came for us. Lord, that you died, that we might have life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I'm not going to read the entire passage, but if you're familiar with the story at all, again, you have these men coming from the east. Okay, we put ourselves in Israel, in Jerusalem, a couple thousand years ago, and you have men Wise men, we don't know the distinctions exactly. We refer to them as we three kings, right? But they are these men that somehow have this understanding. All the things that we know here, they knew without the New Testament. And they saw a star. And somehow I believe that God very much led them by that star and by the, the confidence and the assurance that they knew that they were on the way to see Emmanuel, God with us, the newborn lying in that major. And they brought... Christmas gifts. Would you jump down the passage with me to the end? And if, if you're curious of what translation I'm reading, I, I've never 
read it from the pulpit before, but translation I kind of like in the sense of how we read the message at times, the voice translation. I'll read the notes as well. Would you read with me verses 9 through 11, and then I'll read a couple of the notes as well from this translation. The wise men left Herod's chambers and went on their way. The star they had first seen in the east reappeared, a miracle that, of course, overjoyed and enraptured the wise men. The star led them to the house where Jesus lay, and as soon as the wise men arrived, they saw him with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They unpacked their satchels and gave Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The notes here bring out some interesting points. These are exceptionally good gifts, for gold is what's given a king, and Jesus is the king of kings. Incense is what you'd expect to be given a priest, and Jesus is the high priest of all high priests. Myrrh ointment is used to heal, and Jesus is a healer, but myrrh also is used to embalm corpses, and Jesus was born to die. Would you agree with me this morning that God is sovereign? Would you agree with me that God knows all? Would you agree with me that the scripture is God's holy word? That God himself speaks life through the scripture? I don't claim to understand it, but somehow I don't believe that these gifts were just happenstance. Right? Now, Christie is a gift giver. That is her her top love language, that's not mine. Good, bad, or indifferent, that, that's, just, that's just not where I land. I really messed up years ago because our first Christmas, I went really big and really did set a really high bar. Bible, flowers, the whole nine, and I have never hit that bar since. But anyway, everything Chrissy does has intention to it. She loves giving gifts. It's hard for me. My point being here, I do not believe that the gifts that were given were happenstance. They came from a long ways. It's very well known now that these, these men that were coming from the east came some ways, right? They, they, most people think that it was maybe six months, potentially two years based on what Herod would do later on and the timing of the babies being two years and under. But yet we know there was a lot of voyage, there was a lot of trekking that happened, right? And so these gifts, they didn't just stop down at the dollar store. They didn't stop at the Walmart or wherever and pick up this gift. It was something that had much value and intention to it. Even just the idea that gold and frankincense and myrrh have these other kind of weighty ideas to them, I believe somehow God sovereignly, I don't even think the wise men, yes, there was intention about it. I don't even think the wise men knew what they were doing, per se. I don't think they thought, oh, Gold means this. You know, frankincense means this. I really do believe we're blessed to live in this day and age, that we have the Bible, we have the Word. We talked about the Trinity this morning in Life Group. We don't understand how all of this works, but my, we have such a better grasp than anyone in history. To have the Word, to have the years of the church history, to kind of cull through kind of what this means and look at, and for the Spirit of God to indwell and live on the inside of us now. Church, what a blessing, what an opportunity. This morning, Brother Larry brought out that, that all analogies fall short when coming to the Trinity. And so I don't want to get caught up in, in analogies and symbols this morning, but I certainly believe that this can even point to that. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We talked about how it relates to Jesus. 
Even something as simple as this, I believe God sovereignly demonstrated himself in these three gifts. That's a wow. When I was studying this, that came as a wow to me, right? And so the purpose today is not so much to, to preach a Christmas sermon per se. The purpose is to talk about the nature and the reality and the beauty of God. Of course, all stemming from the scripture. We talked about Jesus being the king, king of kings. What do you associate with kings, right? You associate power and royalty. All that can be is summed up in a king. Certainly much more than gold. You have gold and precious jewels and diamonds. But yet gold is what we think of as this standard. We think of gold as being top. We think of gold as being first place in the Olympics. Right? We think of gold as being the utmost. What do we know about God? God is certainly all that. And if Jesus is the king of kings, it's because his heavenly father is before all and in all. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says that even Christ himself, at the end of all time, when all things are subdued unto him, Christ himself would set himself down in front of the father so that God would be all in all. God the father is sovereign. He is supreme, right? You see gold in a lot of different Areas of culture, right? It's, it's obviously not the, the gold standard per se with the money and things like that anymore, but yet it's still very valuable. Jewelry, investments, many of the computerized things we have today are made with gold because it's a very valuable commodity, right? There's this preciousness about it. There's this, the whole gold rush of the, you know, several years back with America. The, there's a value to it that you cannot express by just any other way to say Something is gold. Right, so that's where things begin. God the Father is certainly sovereign. God is good. God is good. God is good. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the above, the Father of heavenly lights. We know God is good. I believe every good thing that comes from God can be summed up in even the capacity to do anything good that's a gift of God. Some of you have heard me say this before, but even just the idea of our ability to say a kind word to someone, someone who has never had any faith in God, that is a gift from God. Just the very essence of good itself comes from God. Yes. Speaking of gifts, Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, Speaking of the Heavenly Father, verse 11 of chapter 11 to 13 says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or let's say he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amen. The Matthew version of that text doesn't specifically mention the Holy Spirit. And even, even before that text, it talks about, If you ask, you shall receive. Seek, you shall find. So the principle goes much beyond the Holy Spirit. But certainly, the Father is good. That's the point, right? The Father can be trusted. 
Brother Todd's not here this morning. Uh, how many of you have heard Todd's Oakley glasses illustration? He talks about the, uh, you know, the Oakley glasses, and he loved his pair of Oakley glasses, and he uh, went out, and he saw these really cheap pair. I think they were in Mexico or somewhere, and he asked them, what about these Oakleys? And they go, oh, you know, they're almost real. They're almost real. And he was really, really into that. And I said, well, I'm glad I got the real thing. Kind of goes the opposite way, and I love Chrissy to death. She broke my heart. I still married her. The way she broke my heart was we were dating, I don't know how many years, a couple years, and I ran across my old Oakley glasses that I had lost and misplaced, hadn't had them for years. And she told me they weren't real. So they're not real. What? And again, it's, that's just kind of a little illustration to be something that, you know, can be kind of disheartening when you think something's real and you go on and you find out that it's not. But I will say, if anything can be trusted in this life, if anything is good, if anything is worthy, if anything is holy, we're told to think about these things, right? Well, if there is anything good, then God is that. If there's anything that can be trusted, God is that. How about frankincense? Frankincense is something we don't have any dealings with in today's typical society, but it's an incense. It was something that was used back then and even still today in different cultures for different types of things. It's a, it's a form of worship. It's, it's something that you, you burn. It smells very good. It's an it's a incense. It's a crushed powder. It comes from this resin from a tree. Over in the Middle East, five, specifically five different types of this tree, but still rare by what we would think of. It's not a pine tree or something like that. But yet, this gum, this material that comes from the tree is hardened and pulled off the tree. It's broken down into this fine powder and burned up as an offering. Typically, it's used for worship. The word frankincense, frank being an old French term, means noble or pure. Literally, frankincense just means pure incense or pure sacrifice. Was not the Lord Jesus Christ a pure sacrifice? He was born to die. And again, I have, I have no expectation that the wise men understood this particularly in any sense, but I believe as much as they were led by a star, they were led. And it presents a powerful truth for us today to know that our Savior was literally born into this world with the purpose of being broken, with the purpose of being beaten down, with the purpose of, yes, fulfilling all these things, a good life, a powerful life, a life of testament, but yet, ultimately, God with us, Emmanuel, it's God coming into our space saying, no, you can't do this on your own. No, 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 you are, you are broken and the only way to write this is for myself to take your place. And so that's what Jesus Christ has done. The old revelation of God the Son is the fact that the Father has to say, no, 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 there is no other way. This isn't plan B. This isn't because Adam and Eve messed up. This is plan A. Because I loved you so much that even knowing from the beginning of time what would happen, I chose to create you anyway. I chose to go through all of this because I love you. 
And that's okay because even in myself, Christ being eternal, this was always the plan. Do I fully understand that? No, it kind of hurts my mind to think about it. But praise God. Praise God. God is so good. We have a mediator. We have a go-between. We have a high priest. In the Old Testament, the high priest would go into the temple, right? They would make intercession for the people. Now the temple itself is our own body. Anyone that is saying, Lord, I trust you. I put my faith in you. Now we become that temple. And we still value the local church. We still value the community. We're meant for community. But yet, we are the temple. The whole paradigm shifts. And now the go-between, it's not a person. It's the person who came and was above all. And yet made himself beneath all so that we could experience the Christmas gift and that of eternal life. And that of eternal life. If you don't have that this morning, if you can't say with beyond a shadow of doubt that I have that gift, then forget everything else I'm saying and focus on that. It comes by faith. It's not something that you did. It's not because you messed up yesterday. It's by faith in the work that he's already accomplished. And there's nothing I can add to it. Yes, good works please God. That seems common sense to me. But it's not for boasting. It's not because I do the good work that I'm saved. Okay. How about myrrh? What is myrrh? Myrrh actually is another instance that comes up a lot in the Old Testament. The very way the temple system was set up back then, the anointing oil that was used consisted of several elements, one of those things being myrrh. It was used in many different facets. I talked right off the bat about it being used to embalm corpses. It speaks of this even in Jesus' burial, that it was put in the linens to preserve the body of Christ. I mean, practically, I would say, is that even necessary? Right, Pastor? Right? I mean, that, that's just me. But yet God doesn't spare any expense. If there was ever a body to be preserved, yes, it was only going to be there in that form three days, but it was precious. There's a healing element. You can, you can go on Wikipedia and read about the healing elements of myrrh. There's a healing element. As, as much as you have any kind of a, a, a good home remedy, myrrh has a positive healing element to it. The Holy Spirit heals. The Holy Spirit is the great comforter. Yes, Jesus heals. Yes, the Father heals. But it's three in one. And the Holy Spirit is God's tangible effect on mankind. If you feel anything, maybe you're kind of halfway dozing off right now. That, that, that's possible. But if you're feeling anything this morning, if you've ever felt anything from God, that's the Holy Spirit drawing and dealing with you. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would fall upon a prophet. The Spirit would come upon this individual and go here and there. Now the Spirit is within. It indwells. It gives us any enablement to do anything. There's a preservation element of the Spirit, right? We talk about being kept. We talk about being kept. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
says that any temptation you face will, not be, will be nothing new. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. But he always provides a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure. Another good word for that is persevere and keep moving forward. The sign of the Holy Spirit's hand on your life is not if you are perfect and never mess up. It's about your response to that. We talk about this at times as well, but it was originally Jack Hayford's thought, but it's, it's a fantastic one. Your response to that pull, you, you, can, you can feel a certain way and say, okay, God's, God's moving in my life. But the way we judge what God is doing is by the response that people have to it. When you see people raising their hands in worship, you say, God is here. Why? Not because some person raised their hand, but because he's moving through people. And people are engaging and going back and forth in this relationship that we're called to. That tug that you feel, if you feel a certain kind of way, like this, this is kind of beyond me, I don't fit this, and you move away from it, then that just as well might be condemnation. But if it pulls you to God and say, no, I have to respond to this, this joy that I hear and I I don't understand, I want to be part of, then we know it's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that's working in our life. The distinction is by the response. Finally, you have the healing, you have the preservation, the fact that the Holy Spirit works in us and moves through us. We know that all the credit and all the glory goes to God Almighty. Maybe we do have a good day, maybe we do get it right, Glory be to God. Glory be to God. While I'm on the subject of the Holy Spirit, I want to address one thing, and that, especially here in America, there's, there's a trust issue that we have at times. It's almost as if we can be scared of our own shadow at times. Luke chapter 11, I read some of the verses earlier, speaking of the gifts and God being trustworthy. I want to speak to the entire chapter just for a moment. Context is important. Would you agree? When Luke was writing it, he didn't take a break after chapter 10 and say, oh, I'm going to pick up chapter 11 next week. He was writing. Now, I'm sure he took breaks, but it wasn't in the kind of references that we would typically think of. Here's the breakdown of chapter 11. Remember I read, I read verse 11. The Lord's Prayer is the first part. How are we to pray? After that, it talks about a friend coming at midnight. The perseverance of saying, I need this so bad. I want this so bad. I'm going to spare no expense. I will show up at your door at midnight, and I will knock until I get an answer. That's the next section. After that, the asking and seeking and knocking, the specific part about gifts being good. If, if, if I, as my father, want anything good for my son, who am I? How much more does the Holy Father want us to have the good gift? And when we're asking for the Holy Spirit, we're going to get a good gift. This is the part that I want us to really hone in on. After that, he begins to speak about a house divided cannot stand. 
He's dealing with unclean spirits. He's dealing with all kinds of things. And the Pharisees are accusing him of acting on behalf of Beelzebub. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. And keep in mind, it's not as if the other place, you didn't have other things that were happening. But this is as far as spiritual exorcisms and whatever. But Jesus said, that's not the case. A house divided cannot stand. And he puts this thing aside saying, if you're in Christ, if you're in me, then things are consistent. And I operate on authority of the Father. And I just mentioned earlier, like times, you know, I have a very pragmatic approach. I want to know everything. I want to have all the answers. But that's not our point. At some point in the day, we have to have this childlike faith to say, if I'm praying for this, if I'm seeking this, if I'm genuinely seeking from God, I have to trust him enough to know that what I'm going to receive is a good thing, is a good gift. That God's not going to allow some hocus pocus to jump on me because I'm praying for more of his spirit. I've heard it often said as well that worry contrasts with fear and prayerlessness. Right? Anything that you would typically worry about, you pray about. And then you're placing the ownership not in what we understand and what we can control, but in God Almighty. So again, I just think it's a very, very worthwhile point to look at the context in which that was given. It's specifically the only spot in the Bible, and Luke is very thorough. Luke is, a, Luke is one of the most systematic books you'll go through. And yet the precision of where these things are placed, I mean, we're talking back-to-back verses. There has to be a purpose for that. You can't tell me we're going from good gifts and receiving the Holy Spirit to talking about a house divided cannot stand and that Jesus is operating on authority of the Father and that not be intentional. With all that being said, how does this impact us? Miss Carol and Pastor Don, we did the special event vision on Wednesday night and there's a considerable amount of time about the person, ourselves, how we're involved in the church, how we're involved. What are you bringing this morning Right? There's, there's many ways you could go here. There's spiritual gifts, and there's other things that we could deal with. But what are our gifts that we're bringing this morning? And specifically, we're talking not little tykes, not you know, you know, whatever tangible gifts, but we're talking about gifts that God has given you. I'll quote Miss Carol from Wednesday night. The local church is the advancement of the kingdom of God. God can do anything he wants, but he's chosen to work for you and I. Not because of us, but because that's his plan. He's chosen to redeem us back to himself, to empower us, and to call us to go forward, and to have that effect on other people. So what are your gifts? Again, I would say if if you're unsure about that, then back to what I said before, I would really challenge you to newly commit yourself to God to say, Lord, thy will be done, not my will be done. Lord, I recommit my life to you. I renew my faith in you. We're called to have this childlike faith. The praise team, you can go ahead and come forward.
Childlike faith is something that I believe is a very intentional illustration. It's something that I can't fully understand, but having a child, it helps a little bit. There is so much dependency on the part of a child. My understanding of faith doesn't even begin to do justice to the idea of childlike faith, right? Again, with faith, I'm asking questions. I'm wanting to know. I'm wanting to figure this out. But at the end of the day, that's not childlike faith, right? The biggest question you get from a child is what? Why? And I have a question. Would you say the vast majority of the time that you have a why asked from a child that the answer that's given is understood? Even if it's the true and honest, maybe it's the lengthy answer. Do you think the answer is understood? I'm sure at times it is, but not for the most part. How much more when we come to God Almighty do we have to just, and I'm not just talking about salvation, even not even just at recommitting our lives to him or those kind of entry points, but anything that you're asking and seeking and, and wanting to move into something unique and something special, we have to say, God, I put it in your hands. God, I trust you, Lord. Can we do that this morning? Can we do that this morning? Because I promise you, he is good. He loves you. We talk about things in the Godhead. We talk about Christ subjecting himself to God. God is one. God is perfect. God is holy. There is an equality amongst the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And understanding that makes the Christmas story, makes the gospel that much more powerful. That the Son would leave that, be born as a helpless baby in a manger. We sang it today, not, not in a palace, but in a manger. We don't have mangers now that we typically associate with, but it'd be like not being born at the king's table, uh, maybe being born at the house, more like being born in the garage. It's a tangible example of where God's putting himself. Did people back then live in the garage? I'm sure there were some people that had to settle for that. But that's the point. He came to relate to everyone. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling with some things, he relates. If you struggle this morning and say, I'm not good enough, he was. Pastor and Miss Carol have said time and time again, and they said it was tonight, but every member to be a minister. There's no tears in Christianity. Just because I'm holding a microphone doesn't separate you, you from I. There's no gold, silver, bronze. There's none of that. 
And we want to see every person that comes through that door to accept Christ, to grow in their faith, and to be called and equipped and encouraged for the work that they're called to do. Not just Bethel or some person holding a microphone, but for that individual that God knew from the beginning of time. That all these things were written in his book at the beginning of time and that he knows you so well that the innermost being, the very hair on your head, is completely understood by God. That's what he wants. We don't do a, what I would call a hard altar call too often here, but if, if some of this is resonating to you and you're like, I've got to make things right. I've got to make things right. I'm going to give you the opportunity. We won't dwell here long, but I encourage you to take that step. There is such freedom in coming from the dark. Because, and I can say this because I've been there. When you're in the dark, there's a lie that you get told. And that lie is that you're the only one there. That people won't understand. That nothing will ever change. That going to the altar doesn't really mean anything. Not not tomorrow. It's a life in the pit of hell. So I would encourage you that if if that's you today, that you will press past that self-analysis, that doubt, that worry, all the things that cycle through, and that you will make it right. There are people here that love you and would be more than happy to not only pray with you today, but to walk with you and to encourage you as iron sharpens iron to go together to whatever the next step is. As Christy sings the beginning of this song, if every head would be bowed, every eye would be closed. I would encourage you take this moment serious and to not let it pass you by. Because we're not promised another one. None of us are promised anything outside of knowing who God is and that he's faithful. As we continue to worship this morning, I had to give a clear opportunity for people to accept salvation. Again, it's a simple truth. It's a simple fact, if you know that it's not because of what I've done, but because of what he has done, you're there. But there's so much more. That is simply the beginning. There was another song that we had on our sheets this morning, I Worship You Almighty God. If we could just spend a few moments in closing, worshiping God. There's so much more that God can and wants to do through you. And I would encourage you to press into him this morning. In the same type of way that it takes courage to come down to the front to accept Christ, 
It takes courage to go deeper in Christ. It takes courage to get out of your comfort zone. Even if you're not someone who raises your hand, to raise your hand for the first time. That takes, strangely, a ton of courage. So we have plenty of time. There's no rush. Let's just worship God this morning. Before I turn it back over to Pastor and he can go through any special needs that may be here. God is here. And let's worship him. Thank you, Lord, for coming. For choosing, Lord God, this course. Lord, you are good. Lord, your mercies endure forever, Lord. And I need them, God, every morning. God, renew me. God, as David prayed, Lord God, would you renew a right spirit within me, Lord, every morning? God, would that be my prayer? I thank you, God, for the freedom of worship, Lord. I thank you, God, that as we reach out, Lord, and touch you, God, that you open the windows of heaven, Lord, that you pour out your blessing and your spirit, Lord. God, as the fact that you indwell us, God. God, you want rivers of living water to pour from within our own bellies. God, what a majestic reality that is. God, we worship you this morning. You know, the Lord just impressed upon my spirit this morning. Michael talked about the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he'll be your comforter. The Lord just really impressed upon my spirit. There's, there's several here that needs the comfort. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. You've been struggling. Listen at me. You've been battling. Seems like the devil has jumped on you with all fours, but I'm here to tell you the Holy Ghost is in this place today. In every heart, in every believer's heart, some even have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the gifts and the power of God. I want you right now, Brother Matt Emmanuel, that, that word means God with us. God with us. He's not in the cradle. He's not on the shores of Galilee. He's not on the cross. Oh, hallelujah. He's not in the tomb. He rose and he lives. And he's here right now. And you're going through something and the Bible says that he is your comforter. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Father, I want you, to, I want you just to let him wrap his arms around you right now. I want you to let him touch your heart. Let him, let him strengthen you. Father, I 
Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Minister, dear God, to every heart and every life. Lord, we trust you for our tomorrow. We trust you for our next week. We trust you for what we face. And we believe right now, dear God, you said you would make a way where there seems to be no way. And we believe it right now in Jesus' name. And we ask your comfort in Jesus' name. Now just let him love you. You love him. He says, draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. Come on. You draw nigh to him with praise. You draw nigh to him with trust. You draw nigh to him in faith and he'll draw nigh to you. Sing it. Emmanuel, Emmanuel. He's doing it. Come on. Praise him. Let, it, let, him, let him minister. Let the Holy Spirit minister.